On today's Contract 2020 TA Education, my partner Amy Robinson will be interviewing me about Section 6 General. Okay, Kurt, so we're going to go through a section that is pretty all over the place. Sure is. And this is general. So let's start with what are sort of the big points of this section? Well, uh, well, I think what we should do is probably step through each subsection. We can talk about them individually, but just on the overall concept and when it comes to the rewrite, if you look at this, um, most of what's in general has been brought over into this uh, version of the contract or the, the TA. What I would say about it is that we gave it some thought in, in the organization of it. It isn't just random, which it is in our current contract. What this does is we tried to prioritize the things that pilots are probably going to be most interested in or most referenced up front. So you'll see things like uniforms and jump seat and pilot travel up front, and then things in the back, which are more like company business with the union and union trip pulls and things like that that end up in the back that really don't matter to the average pilot. So in uniforms, uh, I think before that was in expenses, correct? It was, there was some, actually there were no expenses. So it was in the general, but uniform costs were talked about there. We now have many sections that have double touches like uniforms where we have language about uniforms, but then we also have them over in the expenses section. We'll talk about that in in that podcast. Probably the big point here when it comes to uniforms is that uh, we have consistent policies for male and female styles. That's kind of the big headline here. And that SWAPA will have a bigger voice when it comes to uh, uniform design and policies and projects and working groups. This goes back to the uh, the lightweight jacket incident back about 17, 2017 or so, where it just sort of showed up, the change in the uniform, uh, all those things that have happened. We've been notified, even though in our contract today, it says that SWAPA should be involved. We haven't been consulted on them. So this ensures that we will be. Let's move forward to required documents. All right. So required documents in contract 2020 covers passports, visas, uh, restricted radio telephone operator permits, any of the other kind of things that you need to go international. We came up with a constant term because we refer to that in other sections. Basically, there's no change to current practice. Again, with expenses, the, the expense of getting your passport renewed and all that is over in the expense section. So it's been split basically between here and there. This just talks about having to carry it on duty and when you have to obtain it and and possess it. Okay, so let's talk about a big one that's really important, I think, to a lot of pilots, and that's crew meals. Sure. Um, Pilot meals is a big deal for us. Uh, We've we've gone around and around. And uh, I'll be honest with you, there is no perfect solution. We don't have airplanes that have ovens. We are not going to be able to tell Southwest that they need to install ovens on our airplanes, and that's not going to happen in the length of this contract. So what do we do about it? We talked about having meals delivered. We talked about having crew meals. We talked about increasing per diem. All of these things sort of work together. We didn't have a good answer. Uh, I, I don't think realistically, right or wrong, like it or not, that the company is going to be able to produce or they're, they're going to be able to provide a meal that's really any different than what you get on that Cancun turn. Those international box lunches that we get or the box lunch that you get when you get to the hotel at one in the morning and it's at the front desk, that's gonna be what the company provides for crew meals. So what we've done is we've agreed to maintain the international crew meals that we have today on international turns. 
And then we've also added an additional per diem. And this is to offset the fact that we don't get crew meals. And so now any flight of four hours or longer will be paid a per diem, an additional per diem of $20 per flight. That's both flying and deadheading for both. Uh, and that's scheduled block time. So, you know, we, we talked about it internally. You can't eat a $20 bill, and we recognize that. But, but realizing the, what we had to deal with, we thought that this was the best solution that we could come up with when it comes to crew meals. And then we do have other provisions in there that talk about if the meal isn't available or if it's spoiled or if they can't get one at the hotel, the company will reimburse pilots for that. We're hoping that that cost um, motivates the company to fix the crew hotels and some of the contract shortcomings uh, if it ends up being kind of a recurring situation. I think the next big section in general is jump seat. Uh, What were the changes in that area? So jump seat's kind of a big deal for us. Obviously, we maintain what we have today, which is the Southwest pilots have priority for the cockpit jump seat uh, over all other employees and all other pilots. So that's an important thing that we maintained. But probably the biggest deal and one of the first major, major improvements that we have uh, in the general section is on weight-restricted airplanes, the jump seaters will not be removed for weight-restricted flights. So they'll find the weight elsewhere. It doesn't say that it's part of the operating weight, but it's going to be the order of removal. So they've, they've gone that route and cockpit jump seaters will not be the ones taken off. So that's a huge, huge important uh, gain for us when it comes to jump seat. The other thing we did was uh, we did codify the fact that the captain is the authority of the ju- on the jump seat. He owns the jump seat. That's been something that has had some questions raised in the past by some of management. Yes, they own the airplane, but the captain of the of the aircraft has the uh, the authority over the jump seat. So that's a very important part. I will add too that we did spell out very clearly that a jump seater will be allowed to preboard in the same manner as an operating crew member. Uh, so we're getting away from the problems that we've had sometimes at the at the gate where the uh, ground ops folks are saying no, you can't preboard. We clarified that again and again, and we wrote the language very specifically so that it's covered in the ground ops manuals so that they're able to teach that work group how to comply with uh, our contract. So let's talk about the next one, which is pilot travel. Okay. Uh, Pilot travel, kind of two pieces to that. Number one, travel is a privilege. The company is very consistent with travel is a privilege and that doesn't change. However, what has changed is the fact that we have codified and I'm going to read it here. If a pilot is unable to perform his normal duties due to an FAA-imposed medical restriction, he and his eligible travelers will continue to be eligible for uninterrupted, non-revenue space-available travel privileges on Southwest Airlines. So what that's saying is, is no more if you're on sick or if you're on a medical leave that you can't use non-rev privileges. That's not jump seat. uh, That's not on other carriers. But on Southwest, you'll be able to continue to non-ref, and that's a big deal. So that does kind of fix some of the conversations we've been having with some of these medical pilots that were not unable to travel due to uh, needing to go get treatment or whatever. Yeah, exactly. That's the that's the guy that has to travel down to uh, Houston for medical, you know, for cancer treatments uh, or his family, and and now he will have that contractual right to the privilege of travel. So I know it's kind of uh, convoluted, but yes, he will not be excluded just because he doesn't hold medical. I'm looking at this last little provision and it talks about premium seating. What what exactly does that mean? Well, we're talking there about it, it does say that the company obligations to provide must ride travel in any section of this contract uh, may be met by using offline travel. So they can always use offline. It doesn't have to be on Southwest. But if they do, 
It has to meet or exceed the standards that we set forth in our schedule execution section. If you go over to those sections, uh, go over there and look, it says basically that a pilot has to be provided with the highest premium seat available at the time of booking. So if there's a first class seat available, they'll book you on it. If there's a business class, book you on that. doesn't mean that they'll bump somebody out, not that they can, they're purchasing the ticket, but if it's available, they'll get it for you. That also reminds me that we do have language in there that does say, if during the time of this uh, uh, agreement, the company does implement assigned seating, that, that, that we won't sit in a middle seat. And it also says that if the company does uh, start using a premium seating product, that we would be eligible for that as well. That's not saying they are. That's just saying if that does become a, a an availability. Right. Yeah. It doesn't. There's no indication that they're doing that. But if they were to. We have it codified. We have that in there. Okay. I think the next section that have changes are team meetings. Can you go over what the changes were there? Um, well, team meetings, it's kind of a strange thing. It's a hangover from today. Team meetings are the old. Um, hey, I, if you had an argument with the ramper about something that they'd bring you into the chief pilot's office and you just kind of sit there and hash it out, that's kind of the old Southwest way. Those really don't exist anymore, like it or not. They're kind of a, a relic of the past. We originally had it struck. The company wanted it reinserted. I think it's feel-good language. It basically says that if you attend a, an optional, and they are optional, team building meeting or team meeting, that you won't get paid. You have the right to representation. But the reality is they just aren't used. But it, but it's in there. Honestly, it, it, if they call you in, it's, it's going to be a required company meeting. And that's probably what we'll talk about next. I think that's the next section. That is the next section. Um, and so what, what are the changes in that section? So with that, um, we've sort of codified what we do today, or actually we've kind of strengthened the language that we have today. Again, required company meetings. Now you're having that conflict with another work group. They're going to bring you in. They're going to have a fact finding. And, and that's what, unfortunately, the world that we live in today it may involve employer relations. It may involve uh, corporate security. Uh, the company is very careful to say those are not required meetings. And we've had round and round philosophical debates about it. Okay, they're not required, but you better come. And if you don't, bad things, you, you need to be there to defend yourself. But we didn't make you come. No, but if I didn't come, I'm in trouble type thing. So you can see that circular argument. They, We finally agreed that, okay, required or not, you're going to pay a pilot to talk to flight ops, ER, corporate security, all those investigation type things. As long as we come in for those, we will be paid two and a half trips on a, on a, uh, on a if they're scheduled on a day off. And that applies whether it's virtual or in person. So if they have you do a Teams call or something like that. Uh, then we do have similar language that talks about if it's during the day of a, of a trip during the flight duty period or if it's before or after. And those sort of stay the way that they are. They basically just extend your duty day. So let's talk about airport security identification badges. That seems to be the next one. Okay. Uh, side of badges. Basically, the company wants to get out of the business of providing side of badges. And it's sort of something that isn't really used much anymore. I mean, uh, 20 years ago, we all had the green badges running around in Chicago at Midway. You don't need them as much anymore. I think basically they want that there's no need for them for the average line pilot. Some of the chiefs and some other people might have them. But the company basically said, Unless they're required, we don't want to be involved. There's, we don't want to pay the cost. And, and since it's not something that we do, we agreed with that. So the, the language is basically stripped out of any obligation that the company has. So basically, the language is, uh, is optional language for the company. It doesn't 
say they can't do it. It just says that they don't have to. All right. So let's talk about retirement and resignation procedures. So this is a new subsection in uh, contract 2020. And this was uh, the result of uh, a few years ago, we had some unfortunate instance where some pilots early on when leaving Southwest for other carriers wasn't a, a common thing. So they were, they were kind of one-offs. And when they did it, there was no procedure or policy. And, and in some cases they were summarily removed from the property and, and their bags and EFBs and uh, ID badges were confiscated and said, okay, you're no longer a pilot. Like, right then and there. And uh, imagine being at the airport and they take your badge and now you can't jump seat home or non-rev home. And uh, it, it was a very strange, strange thing. It got sorted out at the time, uh, but it was a little bit of a friction point for between the union and the, and the company. So we, we added some language that talks about that a pilot should give two weeks notice, make every effort to give two weeks notice if he's going to leave. That's to help the company prepare. And then a resigning pilot will maintain all rights, privileges, benefits, and issued equipment of employment, including his ID badge, until his last official day of employment. And that just helps him to make that transition if that's going to be the case. So un unfortunately, since we wrote that and even agreed to it, we've become very adept at handling resignation procedures. So uh, it, they basically follow this today. And we also did add uh, another provision about retiree identification badges for retirees. We asked for the uh, ID badge to have a picture and a logo on it. Um, corporate security says they can't issue one with an ID of the photo on it for security reasons. Uh, we went around on it, but uh, the short version is it is uh, suitable for offline and Southwest travel benefits and discounts. Okay. So let's talk about company relations. What's changed there? Uh, really not much. Uh, this is more, now we're getting down, like I talked about, these sections are more about how we interact with the company. And even though we've had some conflicts over the years, there's still a constant interaction between the company and the association and how we do our day-to-day -day operations with contract admin calling over and getting pay things fixed on the spot, things that don't get escalated up to Seth Kornblum and the contract admin level. So we've just kind of codified that we're going to meet and discuss and, and make sure that the business gets done on a day-to-day, on a -day, week-to-week basis. Okay. So then let's talk about records and data access. And this was kind of a big one for the, us. This was, yeah. A lot of SWAPA's brand is data analysis and uh, you know, data and facts. And a lot of that comes from our CMS access. Our schedule research committee is far and away uh, the best in the industry. And I, I don't mean just among pilot unions. I mean, there is no other group that can that has that level of analysis in, on the internal workings of an airline that that any of us know of. So uh, it's phenomenal. So we we have to protect our access to the CMS uh, for research, for education, for contract compliance. So we had to do that. We were man we managed to get that in exchange for that or as a condition of that, we did agree to a very lengthy legalese document. If you look at it, it's basically just a, a document that says that the association will do a cybersecurity risk assessment. And if we don't meet that from a third party, that we'll have a certain period of time to correct it. And if we don't correct it in a timely matter to, during the remediation period, the company can withdraw the service. That's just protecting them and indemnity and that sort of stuff. None of that should impact us. We we fully plan to comply. We've run it through our IT and our legal department. 
we are confident that we can comply with those requirements and that we will maintain our data access throughout this contract cycle. Is there anything else in this section of note? Uh, a couple things. Um, one thing we did add, the company will have access to PNR records, that's travel records for pilots relevant to specific inquiries. The way that the language reads, that helps us with contract compliance because it says that other sections, it says that the union will get access to uh, flight ops information that we ask for. Well, travel works outside of flight ops, so we had to specifically ask for that. So that is carved out. So when you when you say access to PNRs, you're not talking about necessarily the company looking at pilot PNRs. No, I'm not saying that. Well, I mean, the company has them. It's the company's documents. So they have access to them. What I'm saying is we've had situations where a pilot has had a problem while traveling. And it, it may be a contractual travel. It may be for training travel or something like that. And we need access to those flights, those reservations, the PNRs, so we can tell when was the reservation made? When was the takeoff? When was the land? Some of those things we can get out of CMS, but some things we need to know about when was he denied the jump seat? When was he denied these different timestamps? So we need access to that information. And so what I'm talking about is the union, specifically contract admin, having access to the company's travel department's records. We have another provision that we jokingly call the Warren Buffett Clause that talks about if Southwest were to cease to be a publicly traded company. If you remember a few years back, there was the rumor that Berkshire Hathaway was Warren Buffett was going to buy Southwest and take it private like they did with NetJets. If that happens, then we wouldn't be producing some of the SEC documents that we were required to today, which would limit our ability to, to look under the hood. So we have some agreements in there that says that the company will provide us with basically what the Form 41 data is and some other information, and we'll meet and agree on some other things. So that, that's helpful. Do we think that that's going to happen? No, we don't. But it's it's free to, to ask to get the access should that ever happen again in the future. Is there anything else in um, this section that is of note that our pilots would need to know? Yeah, and then th this is really kind of a big deal, um, and that's the phone conversations and recordings. We spelled out exactly what recordings have to be made and which ones we have access to. We had a lot of um, debate. We'll call it debate on that. Um, the company has an obligation today to provide those. They've been uh, there have been periods that they haven't been as forthcoming with them as other times. Right now, they're uh, accommodating our requests for access, but we felt it important that we really drill down and, and spell it out so it's very black and white. Uh, we've talked about it before. The, the notes that we're taking, the negotiating notes are very, very clear on this. And I think it's really going to help both parties kind of understand any, or, you know, kind of resolve any disagreements before it gets elevated into the, the grievance process. What about uh, joint budgets? So this section is mostly unchanged from current book, or at least the intent on the top paragraph. And what it basically is saying that the, the company and the association will get together every year and kind of have like a little mini negotiations on joint budgets for committees that the company basically sees as mutually valuable. Things like HIMSS, things like cockpit security, uh, those kind of committees. We also have uh, the agreement of the company to pay for the SRC chair budget, uh, up to 120 TFP per month, uh, offset by any other uh, flying that he does, like he does for the, uh, like we're required to under the PM, under the policy manual. What's not reflected in this section is over in the safety section, we've listed out several full-time positions that are 
going to be required uh, to be paid by the company. And that's generally because of SWAPA's required involvement in the SMS program. Uh, we estimate that the value of that's going to be somewhere around $1.1 million added to the SWAPA budget every year. That's, that's money that we won't have to pay for by contract. So if you add that plus the SRC, uh, we're, we're somewhere north of about uh, $1.5 million once we get the pay raises. That's, that's out of the SWAPA budget every year. So the good savings to the membership there. So talk about infectious diseases. Well, that's, um, it's an all new section, uh, subsection of general. You remember back to the pandemic when we had quarantine, and I guess we still have it today, but it was particularly a big deal back during the peak in the pandemic and COVID. And they were pulling guys for for um, exposure, even if they weren't sick and using sick, and it was a big mess. Um, we we finally reached an agreement on that. Basically, if you read the language in the TA, we're basically codifying how we finally ended up on pay. It says if you get pulled for quarantine, they're going to pay you CC. They're going to pay for you to travel back out of pocket costs. No change to how it happened. If you went through the process during the pandemic, that's basically what it is here today. It's just part of the contract now. It is part of the contract. And, you know, remember we had so many difficulties getting MOUs and agreements of the association back during the pandemic that we thought it's best just to put it in here so we don't have to reinvent the wheel should it come back? And, and like I said, even today, there are cases where they are quarantining and, and co having COVID pulls, just much, much lower than it was. Benefits entitlement? Is there any changes to that? So there's no changes to that, but it is worth mentioning that it does say, and, and this is important because it, it hits benefits very importantly. It says, except otherwise noted, uh, provided for herein, each pilot will be entitled to no less than the same benefits, privileges, and policies as are available to other employees pursuant to policies and practices by the company. The reason that that's important is because other contract groups, other employee groups have medical cost containment provisions in their CBAs. And so that was one of our goals in contract 2020. When we talk about benefits, uh, we talk about that we don't have that written in the CBA, but because of this provision here, we do effectively have the cost controls. We've me tooed other work groups at Southwest without having to use our negotiating capital. We were able to spend it elsewhere. Okay, let's talk about aircraft equipment. So aircraft equipment's all new. I think the thing with that is, you know, we, we joke about how they would they used to pull out all the good equipment, the printers and the, the sunscreens and all the, the things that you know, Boeing puts in these airplanes for safety and for comfort and for better situational awareness and all the good things that come with it, we're pulling those out for cost savings. And it's it if it wasn't so sad, it would be funny. But, uh, you know, we used to joke about that. We went around and around on that. And where we settled was, like today, that they have to put on the number of jump seats, the maximum number of jump seats that the airplane can have. So basically, all the, all the new airplanes will come with two jump seats. So that's good for our jump seaters. The only improvement that we've really secured or locked in is the fact that beginning uh, 2024, uh, actually the second half of 2024, the company will provide sunshades on all new aircraft deliveries uh, subject to Boeing or vendor timelines. And then it may be from Boeing or they might do an aftermarket. They they've they showed us what the plan was. They're effectively OEM sunscreens. Doesn't sound like much, but, you know, it, it beats putting the the cards up in the window. So hopefully uh, 
it's a sign of things to come and maybe we'll stop pulling things out of the airplane. Anything in non-discrimination? Uh, it's there's some subtle changes in there. Uh, I'll let the you know the the reader read them. It's it strengthens what we have today a little bit more, um, but it basically just goes a little bit further about protecting union activities uh, going forward. But no one changed to the to the general intent. Okay, so let's talk about uh, pilot information. I know that was kind of a big deal, right? Uh, it was a bigger deal before we had uh, you know what the current contract talks about how. The company provides pilot information to the union, and then the union's required to safeguard it. What we did in contract 2020, after a couple of unfortunate incidents where some pilot information got out into the public realm that shouldn't have, we put those protections or those requirements for privacy, not just on the association, but there's an obligation now for the company to protect uh, pilot information. And it won't, and it says that they won't disclose, distribute, or disseminate such confidential information to any party, employee, agent, consultant, vendor, or subcontractor unless they have a specific need to know in the performance of their work and they've been informed of the company's obligations under this agreement. So that's a, that, that's a new restriction on the company to make sure that our pilot information is protected. Okay, so then let's talk about association access, which is sort of the companion piece to that. It is. It's uh, This helps us to do the business of the association. This gives us a contractual right to go meet with the new hires. You know, our SWAPA family go over for every new hire to introduce SWAPA and, and help ease them onto the, uh, you know, into the Southwest family. So that's a big part. It gives us access to company mailboxes in the lounges, our bulletin boards. A new ad, or the only probably meaningfully new ad to hear is Given that nobody goes to the lounge anymore, we do have a new provision that says that the company will include the SWAPA app on the EFB standard profile. So when you turn on your EFB for the first time or you download all the required apps, it'll be one of those that's included. All right. So let's cover safety and security. Any changes there? No, no real changes. It's Things have been moved around a little bit. There's some uh, training device information that's in our old training section, but now it kind of gets moved here under safety and security, but no no meaningful changes here. What about FFDO? That's another open one. Yeah, that's a new one. It's just a couple of provisions that talk about uh, the right to carry the service weapon. Uh, not that our contract, it's required by law, so it's not that our contract can supersede it, but it gives a, us a, a good reference again when we're trying to have a strange conversation sometimes with ground ops or, or employee group that isn't familiar with the FFDO program, we can say, no, we have to do this. The other thing that it does is the company has agreed to provide must-ride round-trip transportation for initial, FFDO initial, and also for RTP, about the every three-year training. So that's a nice increased benefit. They've been doing that, but they've agreed to put it in the contract. And then uh, the last thing is that they're going to provide 10 lockers for FFDO uh, equipment in each lounge. It's it's a free government-issued equipment. We just got to, uh, the company's got to make space and install those for us. And then this last, uh, I think the last section in this uh, general area is the medical privacy and protections. And I know this is a big one for our pilots. So can you kind of go over this? Sure. Uh, this one is, um, simply put, our direction was from as soon as it came out in the Delta agreement that we have to have that. And I know that the, the wording is very particular and I know that people care very strongly about every single word and how it's 
organized here. What I would say to you is you can take this language and set it up line by line next to the Delta agreement. And it is almost word for word exactly what they have. And the intent is to match exactly what they have. So our medical privacy and protections was uh, used Delta as a foundation. The, the changes are so minute that they call it a rotation is what they call a pairing. So we swapped that out. It said uh, under the agreement of the PWA, which is the pilot work agreement, we just said our agreement. So those kind of little changes. In Deltas, there's a small note uh, that has been struck in our version. It referred to uh, new hire pilots or, or a requirement for being hired. That is not in our language. Uh, so that's the only difference you're going to see. There is one connecting provision here that lives over in the scheduling section that just talks about how a pilot will be pulled if they are unable to fly to an area because of a vaccine status. They'll basically just pull you and they may reassign you or they may not. Thanks for listening. For more information, check out the Contract 2020 TA Education page on swapa.org.